Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online and part two of our series four, where we're talking about being for people and the impact that that can have in other people's lives. So stick around to find out how God views people and how we should view people. Hey, again, real quick, it is good to uh, see all of you this morning, and it's uh, good to have all of you watching or listening online. Uh, I want to talk about uh, people today, people, because people can be pretty awesome. Um, People can make you laugh uh, somewhat like that video. It's like, who in the world ever thinks or is as creative to think about forks as food rakes? Maybe who has the time? I don't know. Um, People have the ability to inspire you, to help you, to change you. Um, People have a lot of influence in our lives. Uh, I think a lot of times, in fact, they have the ability, or maybe you see an emotional video on your Facebook news feed or on Instagram or something, and you are left in kind of awe of that moment of what you just saw between two people. Or perhaps um, people have done something for you in your past, in your life, that have left you just grateful for them and what they have done for you. I think at their best, people are, when they're at their best, people make the biggest differences or are the most inspiring or create the most gratitude when they do something or are for other people. Those are the moments that bring, I think, the most emotion in a movie or a TV show or or, or something you see at, at the office. It's really encouraging when people are at their best and they're helping others. Now, I don't want to be cliche, but when I think of people who are really nice and encouraging and are for other people, I I think of my wife, Stephanie. And it's not just because it's her birthday today and I forgot to give her a gift. I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you'd think that I forgot a gift. Okay, nah, it's a great gift. I went to Lululemon all by myself. Anywho. Thank you. Oh, thanks. I got an awe in the front row. I appreciate that. Um, No, my wife um, just has this incredible ability to be for people. When we we first met, it was probably maybe in the first year or so, she uh, told me uh, something that she kind of does every so often for other people. Um, And specifically, it happens when she's at a restaurant or a store and someone is helping her and kind of goes above and beyond to make a difference for her or to get her a better deal or something, or they're just exceptionally friendly. And what she does, and maybe this is just really normal for you all, but it was not for me when I first met her and still honestly isn't today. Um, She calls back to the store after she leaves. She asks for the manager and then tells the manager about the person who helped her and how much of an impact that they made on her life and, and expressed hope that they, as the manager, would celebrate that part of their organization or that person in their organization. I just thought that was really, really incredible because she does something that um, at least we talk about um, within for the leaders of, in, in Infused Church or some of our volunteers. We talk about celebrating what you value because if you want behavior to be repeated, you have to celebrate it and let people know that you value it. And in this case, what Stephanie does such a great job of celebrating is people who um, just have the opportunity to just do their job right, or they're in the midst of doing their job, essentially the tasks that they're supposed to do or the job description that they're supposed to accomplish during the day. And they move beyond that to being for people. They're being for people. And you know when this happens in your life, when you have received or been in contact or relationship with or, or working with someone at a business who goes beyond just doing their job 
and is genuinely being for people, being for you specifically. That it's not just about the job, and it's not just about the paycheck, and it may not even be about the rules or the policies that they're supposed to follow, because for them what's most important is the people for whom they serve or they help with. I know for me, um, one of the things that I'm really, really grateful for is when those rules, or that the rules are kind of bent to your benefit, if you know what I mean. Like, there's no second helpings, but then they give you a second helping, right? There's no freebies, but they kind of throw in a freebie, and you feel, feel really good, right? Or when you're putting together your burrito or your burrito bowl at Poncheros, right? And they're not really supposed to give you extra, extra sour cream, okay? But they do anyways, and they don't charge you for it. And they don't even judge you for it, right? And you leave feeling value. You leave feeling like you were important until you have the heart attack, and then you don't feel that so much, right? But but you you felt important, valued, and 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 um, that somebody cared in that moment. And that's why I think being for people is so. Um, important, at least in our culture. And, and it's really nothing new, at least in America, because our country um, was kind of founded on the idea of being for people. And, and we know this because if you go back all the way to the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers told us as much. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, you should just know that they're there. It's just something that's innate. That all men and women, all, not just the people in our country, but like all humanity, are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of somewhat cut off happiness. The pursuit of happiness. In other words, that we as a country were founded on the idea that we are for people. And though this is a great idea, and though this is encouraging, we also know the flip side. We also know that the reality is this is not always how it pans out. That we know what it feels like when someone or a group of people compromise our life, liberty, and perhaps our pursuit of happiness. That we know in big ways and in small that people have a choice to adhere to this belief or not and treat us as a result of that. I know um, uh, uh, in a simple way, um, and, and I think probably all of us can relate to, to this, is when you go through a drive through and they mess up your order. Especially if you're at like McDonald's and you are ordering a Happy Meal. You are literally in pursuit of happiness. <laughs> and then... You ordered that Happy Meal, maybe it was for yourself or maybe it was for your kid, you ordered that with barbecue sauce, or you ordered it without onions, and they messed up. And you know that for the next hour or so with your kids, they are going to be very disappointed because now they have that onion taste in their mouth, and they can't get it out, and they're going to let you know, and everybody's upset, and your pursuit of happiness has been compromised. That though it is ideal, though that being for people is ideal, and it's encouraging, and it's hopeful, and that's really the goal, it's not always reality. So let me, real quick, bring it really close to home for us this morning. I want you to think about, or just ask you to think about, what do you think about when you think about Christians? What do you think about when you think about Christians? Do you think that they are for 
people? Do you think, when you think about Christians, do you think that they are for people? What do you think about? When you think about people who are supposed to be for people, you probably think about like police officers or firefighters or doctors. Those are people whom you can trust to be for you. But when you really need help, when you really need uh, some extra volunteers, or you need community, uh, you need um, somebody who's going to be really reliable and dependable, kind, when you need somebody who is for people, people who are for people, do you think about Christians first? Or do you think about Christians like in the top ten? When you, when you find out that you're going to get a new boss at work, do you think or pray, my goodness, I hope they're a Christian. When you know you're going to get a new roommate, or you're trying to find a roommate, or you're going to get a new coworker or, or something, do you think to yourself, gosh, I sure just hope that they're a Christian, because they are just the most kind and dependable and forgiving and grace-giving kind of people. Over the years, I think, and maybe you've seen or at the very least experienced or have stories to tell, that there has been kind of a bit of a disconnect between Christians and Christians being for people. That when you go onto your news feed, when you go on and listen to the news, or maybe in your just interactions on the streets with Christians, you may not always feel that they are for people. In fact, some of your experiences with Christians have been that Christians tend to be more for their religion, their buildings, their title or role within the church, or or they may be just for the rules of their religion more than they are for the people for whom the religion and the rules and the buildings were made for. In other words, that the rules were made for the people themselves to help people, yet for some reason, the Christians become more for the rules than they do the people for whom they were made for. And that's a really unfortunate reality to watch or to experience. Because, as we said last week, if you were here last week, we said, or the main point of last week, was that God is for people, or specifically, God is for you. And you may not believe that, and you may not have experienced that, in which I would really encourage you to go back on our app or on our website to watch last week's message so you can be caught up. But that God of Christianity is for you. Maybe Christians have fallen short, but God is for you. That means, in other words, that you have the opportunity, as we said last week, you have the opportunity You have the opportunity to define your value, who you are, your identity, as being in, um, uh, uh, defined as being as, as a God that is for you. In other words, that God is so for you, that God is so loving, uh, for, loves you so much, or if you think about it in a parent-to-child relationship, that your parents love you so much that it's going to be okay. You probably had that when you were going through elementary school or something. It was like, who did you run to when you were in trouble? You ran to your parents because they were there to help you. They were for you. Same way, God is for you, and that you have the opportunity to define yourself by God's love. In other words, that you don't have to be defined by how you see you. You don't have to be defined by perhaps how you think people see you. In fact, you don't even have to be defined by what you do or have done. 
You don't have to be defined by your paycheck or your GPA, your relationship status, or perhaps your past, your divorce, your fear, whatever it may be, those things do not have to define you. And when you believe or you trust that God is for you, you have the opportunity to change your life. That those things, maybe you're like your paycheck, listen, those are important, they pay the bills, but they don't have to define you. And you can take that burden, that weight of trying to deliver every month a, a big paycheck or get a bigger paycheck, or, or you don't have to put it on a performance for people, that you can just be authentically you because God loves you as you are. And that you have the opportunity to be defined by your Father in heaven's love or being for you. And then I gave you the example last week, if you remember, that trusting God is for you can also change your church. And that is one of the most profound examples, at least if you've been around Infuse for a while. Even if it's your first time, you have, you have the opportunity to make Infuse your church home or to at least understand a bit about our story. But um, we have, over the last four years, because we're nearing our four-year anniversary here in two weeks, we're going to celebrate that. But we have, over the last four years, decided to trust that God is for us, collectively. And that has allowed us to go from 12 people in a coffee shop to over 100 people meeting in a school gym. A growth of like 675% over the last four years. Trust can fill the gap when we don't have enough money and yet we can still make it. Trusting God has filled the gap for us when, when we didn't have, uh, when the statistics of like starting a new church were not in our favor. And at the end of the day, though, that we're still here because we have invited God uh, into our church and entrusting Him with where we see the gaps. And that this is a journey, and we can grow, and our lives individually and together can change. And I just want to let you know a, a little secret. How we got to year four is by doing just that. We trusted that God is for people, specifically that God is for you, all of yous in the room, and that we too are going to be for people. Why? Because God's for people. That we're going to be for people. And that has de defined and guided our every step as a church so far. And we didn't just make this up, by the way. This, this, this is a, a really prominent Christian teaching that unfortunately has kind of gotten lost over the years. And I'll give you an example of this specifically um, from Jesus. And, and the reason that Jesus is so important, um, for a number of reasons, in fact, one of them is because we believe as Christians that Jesus is the Son of God. Essentially that God uh, came down in the form of a man, a human being, God in a bod, okay? And he taught us what God thinks about when God thinks about all of us. And what God wants us to do as we interact with one another and we, as we live our lives. And so he taught us a lot of things, okay? And one of those things was a command. In fact, it was a very big command. It was a new command that he said. And here, here's what John said when John recorded this. He said, um, Jesus was teaching one day and, and talking about um, the, the eventually his crucifixion on Easter, uh, which we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks. And he said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then get this. By this, by this loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The implications of this are kind of profound, actually. That 
People will know that you follow Jesus, essentially that you are a Christian, not because you have perfect church attendance, though I would appreciate it. It's not that you have lived a perfect life, though I'm sure God would appreciate it. And it's not that you're perfect at following all the rules, like loving one another. It's just simply that the defining thing when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to being a Christian, is how you love one another. I don't know about you, but that could change how you see Christianity or contrast with how you've seen Christianity play out. This is a very four people kind of a command. Four people kind of command. Another day, um, Jesus is teaching, and, um, and he was going through a huge list of things. It calls it the Sermon on the Mount, and, and if you want to read the whole thing later, you can in Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to put a snippet of it up here on, or excuse me, um, I got ahead of myself. This is the, <laughs> Jesus is having an interaction. He's teaching, and uh, the religious leaders um, come up to him, and the religious leaders were essentially the rule followers, okay? They were the rule police, and they were the perfect people. Okay, they dressed nice, they smelled nice, and they did not like Jesus very much for a number of reasons. And essentially, they came up to Jesus one time while he was teaching, and they tried to undermine him, which he, they, they normally did because Jesus was gaining a lot of influence and a lot of followers, okay? And so they hit Jesus with a kind of would-you-rather type of a question where, like, would you rather do this or would you rather do that? Neither of the options are very good in those, those kinds of questions, right? So they were hoping to trap Jesus, and so one of the, those, those religious people came up to Jesus and said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Out of like 640 some odd laws in the Old Testament in the first half of the Bible, which one is the most important? Which one is the most important? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, in other words, there's one more coming, this is the first and greatest commandment. Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. And that may not be easy for you to accept, and even if this is, especially if this is one of your first times back in church in a long time, this may be kind of new for you. You may not be comfortable with this idea, but this is how Jesus said God thinks about when God thinks about you. He is always working for your good because he loves you and he just would like some love back. Love God. And the second is like it. He went on. The second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. Even the neighbors you don't like. Even the neighbors who let their grass grow so long it's like a jungle in their yard and then they go out and mow it so grass clippings are everywhere and they're coming into your yard and you're feeling really judgmental and angry about it, okay? You are supposed to love even those people. Even those people at work, because they are effectively your neighbor, right? They're your cubicle neighbor. They're your office neighbor. Your family neighbor. The people at the coffee shop, neighbor. The waiter or waitress at the restaurant, neighbor. And so when you're figuring out the, the tip, just keep this in mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says something really profound, especially to those people in those days, the Jewish people. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So essentially, you could summarize all the rules in the Old Testament into these two. Into these two. In other words, he's making it pretty clear that God loves you. He would like some love in return, and also that he is for people. 
And there's so many examples of Jesus bringing this up over and over and over again throughout his ministry. And one more that I want to share with you is so incredible because it changes the paradigm, I think, sometimes of how we treat other people that I just thought we had to had to include it as we talk about how we experience and relate to other people. And it begins like this, and before I jump into this, so don't read quite yet, before I jump into this, I want to introduce you to the sacrificial system, which if you grew up in church, you may be somewhat familiar or heard of this, but essentially, if an individual back in um, uh, uh, Jesus's time, or a Jewish person back in Jesus's time, wished to reconcile themselves with God, in other words, they've sinned, they need to get their sin forgiven, they would have to sacrifice something. They'd have to pay the debt against what they have done wrong to kind of reconcile things. And you've done this in your life, day-to-day life too. Like, hey, if you cost someone something, you have to pay for it. And so they would pay through a sacrificial system. Sometimes they'd sacrifice fruit, grains, they'd burn it on an altar, or in many cases, they'd sacrifice a living animal to reconcile the wrong. And so with that as the background, Jesus wants to introduce you to what you need to do as you go to reconcile yourself to God. Okay, ready for this? Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and as you're up there about to sacrifice things on the altar, okay, you got a line behind you, people are also coming up to sacrifice things, all right, and a thought pops into your head. You remember that your brother or your sister, and by the way, this is such a big deal because back then women had no rights, no standing whatsoever. You could treat women however you wanted and everybody would just turn a blind eye, okay? And so Jesus is like a trailblazer here. He's saying not just reconcile with the men, I want you to reconcile with the ladies too, that if you remember that they have something against you, and I think it also works both ways, that you have something against them too, there's some tension in the relationship, okay? I need you to do something. And he's about to introduce us to a brand new idea of priority when it comes to God and people. Because let me ask you this, even if you're not a Christian or you didn't even grow up Christian, you probably know enough to to be able to answer this question. When it comes to God and people, in religious systems, who comes first? In religious system, who comes first, God or people? God or the gods, right? You got to take care of the gods first. They are your foremost priority. And Jesus is going to take this and flip it upside down. He says, leave your gift. You're up at the altar. If you remember something, leave your gift there in front of the altar. In other words, everybody's back there wondering, hey, where'd he go? He's coming back? Do I just stand here? Do I wait? What's going on? First go and reconcile and be reconciled to the person who has something against you, or you have something against them. Then come back and offer your gift. Then come back. In other words, Jesus, God in a bod, is saying, take care of the horizontal first. Take care of the people that you have wronged or upset with you first. Then take care of me. Then take care of of the vertical. And parents, this is not something new for you. 
you do this, or at least I hope that you do this, and if you don't do this, I really, really encourage you, in fact, just any parent in general, I really, really encourage you, right after Easter, we're going to do a series on parenting. It's going to be a lot of fun and really challenging, um, uh, but I hope you'll be there, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, but essentially, parents, what do you do when your child comes to you, and in the, this rare moment of just genuine honesty, says, Mom, Dad, I hurt someone today. I bullied them. I gossiped. You know, I just, I think I just wronged someone, okay? And you're like, <laughs> that never happens. But in the rare case that it did, when they go to you and they explain this and they say, I'm so sorry, Mom, I'm so sorry, Dad, I shouldn't have, more likely than not, you probably just caught them in the middle of it, okay? And they're trying to apologize to you. What do you do? You say, you need to go apologize to them because it's them that you hurt. I'm fine. I appreciate that you're going to apologize to me. In fact, when you get done reconciling with them, come back and reconcile with me too. But repair that relationship first. Then we'll talk. Because listen, if you, if you would do something to hurt, like Elia, my daughter, okay, what would I want you to do? Don't apologize to me, though I'm really upset because you've hurt my daughter, but apologize to her. And in so doing, in so reconciling with her, you have also honored her, you've honored me, and honestly, I think you've honored yourself. And that's what God, your Heavenly Father, is saying. That when it comes to other people, essentially, when it comes to His children, which is all of humanity, He refers to us as sons and daughters. When you have hurt His children, reconcile with them first. Because to come to him and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry for hurting your, your, your son or daughter, God. He's like, well, then go tell them that. God is fine. That relationship may not be. Honor the person which honors God, and I believe will honor you in the process. And now listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to listen to anything I'm saying, or you can just pick and choose. Oh, that sounds nice, Taylor. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have a lot of wiggle room on this. That before you offer up your prayers, or before you offer up your time, if something pops into your mind that, oh, you know, I got some tension in some relationships, I've hurt someone, you need to go reconcile that with them first which allows you to then walk into a relationship with your Heavenly Father with a clean heart. A clean heart and healthy relationships, which really, at the end of the day, don't we all hope for that? I mean, just imagine. Imagine just, like, for a second, if possible. Imagine if just the Christians in the world did this for a week. Or maybe even like a month. That, that they would go and reconcile with people first before trying to figure things out with God. Do you think if they did that for a week, just like this week, starting tomorrow, you walked into the office and all the Christians, whether you know that they're Christian or not, just started doing this. Do you think relationships would improve a little bit after everyone was like shocked? Like, why are you doing this? Do you think people would look at Christianity, look at the church differently if people did this first? Do you think it would better our communities? 
Or if, or if you're an Iowan, you know, do you think it would better our state, our lives? Just imagine if this happened in, in like, your world, specifically tomorrow, that if you have, like, a disagreement going on with someone or some tension with someone right now in your life, and they just decided to come up to you and apologize and ask for forgiveness, and even though maybe the blame was on you, I don't even know, but do you think that would be, like, kind of nice? It'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? You'd feel cared for. You'd feel like those people, that individual, is for you. Think that would change your marriage? Think, think that would change your work environment? I want to invite you to commit, to commit to being for people, to love people, to treat people like Jesus taught us to. For that to be the defining thing as you walk out these doors today and go about your life this week. As we near our four-year anniversary, um, even if you're a first-time guest today or, or um, you are considering making Infuse your church home, I just want you to know that one of our core values as a church is to love God and love people. To love God and love people. And here's why this is important, because if you just stop at love God, let's imagine all that's gone, just love God. You could just pray you just read your Bible, you come to church, you could sing some songs, right? And you just go home and check the box. Because guess what? You've loved God. Your hands are clean, you've done, done what you're supposed to do, and you're good to go. I mean, if I think about this in my context as a pastor, if I just love God, I don't really need to call you, hang out with you, care about you. We don't need to do some of the ministries that we do. We just, we just got to get together and love God. In fact, infused church would not exist if it just stopped at loving God. Because I could just pastor in another church. Seventy, I could just do what we do somewhere else. And kind of like we talked about at the beginning, it's kind of just like doing the job. You're just kind of doing the bare minimum. You invest your time, you do the right thing, and then you go home. But what if you add loving people, what if you say we're for God and for people? Then you start a new church. Because when there are 80 plus thousand people in your county alone that have declared that they are religiously unaffiliated, that they have no connection to church or religion in general, and you're supposed to love God and love people, then you start a church for people who have been disconnected from the church and from God. And then you do like crazy community events that you really can't afford, like Easter egg hunts and block parties and movies in the park. And then you go in and do crazy things like paying off the school lunch debt for the entire district of Clear Creek, Amana, and you invest thousands and thousands of dollars into local nonprofits that are making a difference in people's lives. And then you go so far as to create an environment where people, imperfect people, can come and explore faith and find community. Not because you want something from them, but because you're for people. And you love people, period. 
Now, I'll be honest with you, in the midst of all of that, do we hope people will make a decision to follow Jesus and experience the love of God and experience the life change that comes from following Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we really hope that because we think it's incredible. And you've seen the incredible stories, like when we have a baptism Sunday and you watch the videos and it's just like, wow, that is powerful and encouraging and inspiring. That's really awesome. Because we really believe that, that following Jesus will make your life better. Make your relationships better. Make your heart better. That's just what we believe. So I want to invite you to commit to that and perhaps invite you to be a part of a community that makes that a priority or continue being a part of a community. So as you think about that, I just wanted to ask you, what, what are you for? Because what you're for makes a really big impact on your life and the lives of others around you. What you're for has the ability to impact for generations and generations to come. And I know that because we see that all the time. We see that in families. If you could learn as a parent to love your kids better, do you not think that will make a generational impact on their kids and their kids? It may seem like an exaggeration, but we see it happen all the time here. So what are you for? What are you for? Now, if you notice when you walked in, there's some chicken wire frame thingies that I threw together. Um, and in your programs, there's this card. And on, on the front of the card, it says, what are you for? What are you for? And then on the back, it looks like this, what I'm for. And the reason I explained last week why, why we why we have this is, um, uh, and I'm going to go back to my wife, uh, in the first couple years of, of, of our marriage, when we started hitting some challenging, challenging seasons because of our decisions and what we were doing, and not necessarily bad decisions, just life decisions, and it put strain on relationships, etc. And, and Stephanie challenged me to sit down as I was trying to figure out my life and write down in priority what I was for. And so I thought this would be a really good thing as we near our four-year anniversary and we look to the future as a church, as individuals and together, we would ask ourselves and, and examine what we're for. And, and, and on the back, there's blanks. Oops, sorry, it's right here. On the back, there's blanks because I want you to do this. I want you to grab those cards out and think about this. And last week, I encourage you, to, if you need to, take it home with you or just like start writing some things and then next week get another card and start writing some more things. But to write what you're for, as general or, speci as general or specific as you wish. But I'd I would invite you to consider, as you process through that, invite you to consider being for God. Because God is for you. And then I'd invite you to consider also being for people. And maybe that looks like getting pretty specific, like you're for your spouse, and you're for your family. And then you're for your church. And you're for your work team, your coworkers, your boss, your neighbors, your community, people in need. Maybe you put it in order. I don't know. But what are you for? Because I think once you write it down, then you can look at your life and examine, is this how I live? Is this how I prioritize my budget and my time through my life? Does it go in to the things that I at least would ideally like to be? And then I want you to examine if, if 
the they they in it, like the people that you put down, know that you're for them. Do they know? Does your spouse know that you're for them? Does, Does your family know? Does your church know that you're for them? Can, you, can they see that evidence? And if you're hesitant, I just encourage you to, to ask a question. As you're examining through this, one of the staple questions here at Infuse, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? As I'm looking through my relationships, as I'm looking through my schedule, as I'm looking through my budget, as I'm looking through my faith journey, what does love require? Does it require me to change some things, reprioritize some things? If you, if you are at, I'm guessing there's some people in here that are later along in life that would say to you, if you're younger, they'd say, this would be a game changer. Had I sat down in my teens, had I sat down in my 20s, maybe even in my 30s, and, and actually examined the answer to this question and examined what I'm for and my priorities, it would be a game changer in how I spent the rest of my life. And it would definitely change how I got to where I am today. As a church, maybe you think about the things that you're for. We put some examples up on the left-hand side. You can look at those as you want, but those are just some examples of things we've been for over the years and will continue to be for. Maybe, maybe to, for you, to, to be for something looks like you're going to serve somewhere, or you're going to get involved in a community group, or, or you're going to start giving and being generous here at Infuse, and maybe elsewhere too. And, or if you have an issue giving to the church, you just be generous elsewhere, because there is value in a generous lifestyle. Maybe, maybe you'd commit to being involved because you want to be for our community involved in the Easter egg hunt or block party. You start a block party in your neighborhood this summer. Maybe you'd give to those people who are in need. The men's group last fall made some lunch bags, and it was really awesome with non-perishable food to hand out as you were just driving around and you see people in need. And I just three weeks ago, I think I gave away my last one out to people because I got all the extras that were left over, so thank you for that. Maybe you'd give to our Love Lives Here, our community outreach that puts on all these events. I want to give you permission to use as many of these cards as you need. Maybe you get one and you put a couple things down and, and then I want you to hang it up on that backboard that only has one card that says, what are you for on it? Take a picture of it so you don't forget, but then hang it up there so you can encourage and inspire other people to consider things and opportunities that they could be for. Because just imagine the difference that we could make if we just all committed right now, to be for God and to be for people and live the life with those two things in mind. If you would, bow your heads, we'll pray, sing a song, get you out of here this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to take a moment to thank you for your Son who taught us to love God and love people, who who commanded us that love would be the defining thing when it comes to following you, when it comes to being a Christian. And for some of us, if that contrasts with what we've experienced or what we've been taught in church growing up or, or any of those things, that we would maybe perhaps invite you to open up our hearts to the idea that you are for us and that you invite us to be for others. And in so doing, people around us would see 
the incredible love of God and the incredible love you have for people through our lives. And in so doing, we would change not just our infused community, but we would change our local community, our state, and the world together. Lord, we pray this in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen.